So should we officially start? Okay. Okay. Have you been recording? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bowie Book Club, a uh, podcast where uh, we uh, read books from Bowie's top 100 book list and then blather about them for a while, <laughs> wasting yours and, and our precious time. Um, with me is Christian. Hi. And I'm Greg. And the book that we're reading this month is The Songlines by Bruce Chatwin, um, a story of intrigue and mystery no 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 okay we don't know if it's actually it doesn't say on my edition um whether it is travel or novel but that's a big point that it was it's been sold forever as a travel book but but it's a little bit of fiction a little bit of non-fiction well the intro says he just lied the whole time right but then (laughs) but then other i think other things that we read have said that there's a bit of truth to it yeah, um, I think I think the the way he put it was that if you said that it was entirely truthful, you wouldn't be lying. But if you said that you were that it was entirely fiction, you'd be a complete liar. Something like that. It's sort of a Kerouacian novel where yeah. you could trace all the pieces to reality, but maybe you're given the creative license and the legal freedom that you're not talking about people directly. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, I thought, got us back to really kind of the origins of our unscripted book club that we've had for like a decade, which was, I, I think originally was to read books that we had meant to read that had been sort of sitting on the bedside shelf for a while. Yeah, stuff that had been on our list that we just had never gotten around to reading. And, yeah. And so this this totally fits into that. Yeah. yeah. When I went in... Uh, uh, up to Finney Books on Finney Ridge, um, my bookseller, Tom, was uh, ordering the book for me, and uh, he said he had never read it, but it had been something kind of there on that periphery, like, I should read it, I know I should read it, there's some, like, it comes up every so often, and I felt the same way. Like, yeah, totally. It's been there on the periphery, and I've just never... And I've had a, a copy of On Patagonia um, forever that I've never read. And same thing with this. Like, I heard about it um, probably, like, 25 years ago, I think. Yeah, when I was in college, it was one of those books that people kind of had, like, the um, the like the kids who were following the dead. You know, those kind of patchouli-smelling people. <laughs> yeah. Um, they all were, were seem to be reading this in right. those journals by Dan Eldon. Oh yeah, that posted on the Tumblr. I like, loved everyone those. Everyone had a copy of that. It seemed like yeah, it was like a manifesto of the the the, the traveling. Yeah, the nomad youth. Yeah, 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 and this seemed to fit right into that. I I thought, but part of the reason I didn't read it up until now was that some of how I learned about it was not great. Like what I learned about it was that it might not be very. Great. Like, are there depictions of it fair and accurate? And is it colonialist? I remember it coming up a lot in grad school. Like, yeah. And what, what, like, what opinions did you hear about it? Because that, that was something I struggled with too is that the portraits of the Aboriginal people and of the Australians, like, neither of them were entirely flattering, but except for the characters that you could tell you particularly liked, 
Yeah. But, but yeah, I don't know. What what did you what did you think about that? I think overall he he yeah, he kept a pretty good balance. There's no noble savagery, but there's also no really just despicable um portraits of anyone. Even some people that you kinda wanna dislike, like the um there's an owner of a bar who is so proud that one of his bartenders had shot an Aboriginal man totally, that he framed yeah. the bullet hole in the wall. And you just really want to dislike that person, but he keeps a pretty even hand. I think the big criticisms I remember hearing were he talks more to white people than he does to Aboriginals about Aboriginals mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that he can only access his own kind and he only gives their opinions. But I, I don't know if... And and I think it gets mentioned in the book um, somewhere by, I think, maybe Arkady, Arkady the, the sort of secondary main character mentioned somewhere. He's like the Neil Cassidy to uh, yeah, Bruce's kind of, uh, the Jack Kerouac. somehow more appealing in some yeah. ways. But, um, he mentions that if he if you ask like a question directly about the song lines or about the ritual, you don't get a direct answer. Like there is this sort of insular nature of it. And, and that sort of comes across in like the, um, the initiation ceremonies that the, I think there's the anecdote about the guy who's in, in a band with Aboriginals, like the, the way that they kind of kind of put him off the initiation ceremony. Like Mm -hmm. they're trying to scare him away from it. Like, I think there is that sense of like, this is a sort of closed society that he doesn't really get into. Well, uh, for good reason. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's no, there's no reason that they would open up to him, especially considering how they had been treated. Yeah. Do you want to give a brief bullet point of the book? Um, I yeah, I I, I think like the the overview of of it is that he goes to Australia. He meets up with um, a friend of his who's a Russian who has connections to Aboriginal people and acts as sort of a, a mediator for them. Um, and because he wants to explore the idea of nomadism and about how um, how their creation myths fit into their sort of nomadic lifestyle. Is that accurate so far? Yeah. Um, so the first half of the book is sort of like about their travels and it's very, um, not lighthearted, but it's very... It just kind of moves along like it's on a, the road. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice little travelogue. <laughs> and then about halfway through the book, he kind of switches over into this anecdotal sort of um, epigram mode, where he just sort of becomes Twitter and starts spouting like these hundred and forty line little aphorisms at you. And I gotta say that I think that's the part that became sort of the cult following of the wayward nomad youth. That these kind of aphoristic gems and that part again maybe I'm just old maybe we're just pegging ourselves as like uh, that got to me I don't know if this is a midlife crisis or something but I totally loved it <laughs> like I and part of it is because I do like those books that are are aphorisms and and sort of like these stitched together sort of commonplace books and that's what it felt like yeah it, um and 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 I think that it's part of the narrative in some ways that he switched over into that um, sort of like, sorry, I missed this part. And halfway through the book, he gets a chance to kind of settle in one place for a little bit. 
and starts going through his old notebooks, his old Moleskine notebooks. Um, and there's two famous famous paragraphs in the book where he describes the notebooks that I think the Moleskine Empire kind of yeah. co-opted. He was in love with them. Right, right. And uh, and a part of the, I think the reason for that is is at the time he was writing the book, he was dying of AIDS. And I think from what I read, he knew he was dying. But he did not disclose this to anyone. Right. Either his sexuality or his diagnosis. Yep, yep. Um, but there was a sense of urgency, I think, where he wanted to get this theory out. Um, you know, what he felt like um, was his sort of grand unifying theory of um, humans being meant to be nomads in the desert. That's what we were bred for evolutionary-wise. Um and he kind of tried to stitch together this narrative out of all these different quotes and different things he had seen and, and read and tried to put that together into support for that theory in addition to like what he had seen in the outback. Um, and, and that, you know, it worked for me in the sense of like I knew where he was going and I wanted to go there with him. Like I, I wanted to go to there, I guess. <laughs> um, but I, I could see how it doesn't, you know, it's not fully formed I guess yeah it rubbed me the wrong way I think it it felt like it came out of nowhere he did establish early on that he was doing this research on on nomadism and he had done it in other places in the world and he was trying to tie it all together but then that it came about I don't know three fourths of the way through maybe yeah uh, two-thirds of the way through the book where he just sits down and starts kind of waxing poetic and it felt a little bit jarring but then you're willing to go there you're willing to say like okay now we're going to get a little more meditative but they never felt like they were going anywhere together they felt like really disjointed and I love aphoristic writing too I mean I thought I thought a lot about my criticism of it and I, I wondered where it was coming from and I thought about like Rebecca Solnit, um, yeah. like Far Away Nearby, or even a lot of Annie Dillard's writing, or yeah, Terry yeah. Tempest Williams, um, like some of her writing too, where I just love that that f- fragmentary kind of descriptive, just meditative writing. But this this felt more, I don't know, kind of paternalistic to me. Paternalistic in, in, in what sense? Like... Just that it was telling me what I should believe. Okay. Yeah. Like, if you all, if you only looked at this information, you would know that this is the way that humans should be. So it's 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 a, in a way he was saying, "Let me present you with this data, and yeah. that that should be enough to convince you." But it wasn't data; it was quotes it was and anecdotes, yeah. and yeah. And and what I I mean, and maybe this is because like. The way he describes the theory. We're going to get in a fist fight about this later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, leave my house. <laughs> you are dead to me now. <laughs> Wait, let me, let me find this here. Okay. So he Can says, you flip like, those pages in the mic? Just... <laughs> let, me, let me ruffle my notebook. Uh, where, where is that? This is good, good audio right here. <laughs> We're not going to cut this out or anything. So he, sa- he says... Uh, Natural selection had designed us for a career of seasonal journeys on foot through a blistering land of thorn scrub or desert. And that's a really compelling sort of statement for me. I think I, I think it makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I am I'm, not designed for the desert. 
Like you're like I like walking. <laughs> Walking's fine. <laughs> I'm I'm I burn really easily. <laughs> See, so you're not meant for it. No. Um, but as a swarthier person, I guess I feel like I am. Maybe. Right. So so I am no longer a true true human in his mind or true or ideal like david bowie all right (laughs) so you got that going for you which which is nice (laughs) but but i think like that's part of the reason why i was able to go along with it because the the anecdotes are are beautifully told in some places like where he talks about the nomads in africa and their dogs and like how they're like uh really fair skin but like the lowest people on the on the social totem pole um, like some of that is, is really like good writing that I think like if it was pulled together into a narrative or pulled together into, um, you know, some sort of more structured form would, would maybe be a lot more effective. But And I think he was doing it for the beginning of the book. Like he was incorporating a lot of the information there already and giving it to us in a way that I think is more accessible because you're hearing about it in context you're hearing yeah, about it yeah, totally. in a conversation in in a story um because i like that he was exploring different ways of being i mean especially in in a country that had been so well like you know the, the united states as well like so many divisions of the right ways to live and you either settle down or you are right. nomadic and and usually the nomadic people are the ones that get the raw end of the deal. Right, right. Who, um, the, the people who have been there first, right. But really early on in the book, he, he had a piece um, where he says uh, white men made the common mistake of assuming that because the aboriginals were wanderers, they could have no system of land tenure. This was nonsense. Aboriginals, it was true, could not imagine territory as a block of land hemmed in by frontiers, but rather as an interlocking network of lines or ways through. All our words for country, he said, are the same as the words for line. So he's he's showing us already in this context, he's having a conversation um, with Flynn. And oh, Father Flynn. Yeah. Father Flynn, who is the... The, the great, like... Uh, the former priest, yeah. I guess. Um, and so he's he's showing us that information there in that conversation where they're all sitting around and they're talking. And, and I think I get that information more in that context than I do just from transcriptions of his notes from his yeah. moleskin. And I think, I think that that may be... And there's, like, what's also appealing to me is the sort of element of sadness is that he ran out of time. Like, I think if he had been given more time, he would have stitched it together. Yeah. And and maybe this was sort of like an editorial choice or like his, his own choice to be like, okay, I, I want to get this out there. I, and this is the only way I can do it. Right, he, so the, the ending does feel really anticlimactic mm-hmm. in some ways when, um, uh, yeah, it just kind of feels like it was tacked on where he just gets into a plane with Arkady, right? And, mm-hmm. and they just kind of go off and it doesn't really feel like it ends. When I was reading a little bit about Chatwin, um, he he was getting sick when he was in Australia, apparently. Um, like he was starting to show a lot of the lesions and get pretty ill. And he died two years after the book was published. So, yeah, I think I think there's an element of sadness to the book overall, like kind of just knowing, you know, what we know about him um, that I thought sort of worked in some ways because it, it felt like it was looking at um, a really sad situation 
and also like um sort of like this feeling of like the his he mentions at, at one point that he's going through these notebooks because in this really sort of poignant phrase he says uh I feel like my days of traveling are at an end. Mm-hmm. And it almost kind of feels like the the aboriginals, like their days of travel are also kind of ending or the days of that nomadic sort of world are, are ending. Which makes me actually think about, um, I had a really hard time thinking about what song I felt connected to this book. Yeah, yeah, that was really tough. Like I, I went through album after album, like what? David Bowie's song, do I feel would connect to the song lines? Like I, I know that he loved this book, and yet I don't see it reflected in his lyrics or in the sounds of his music. He has some, like on the low album, he has that really sort of East Asian sound, and, and yeah, I, yeah. I didn't feel like there was anything that was resounding with me. And then you, Greg, had a friend who said, well. Of course. Yeah, my uh, my buddy uh, Justin um, from Philadelphia, um, he uh, we went out drinking a couple nights ago, and he was like, I told him about the book we were reading about the connection to David Bowie and about the podcast, and he says, oh yeah, the Let's Dance video. It's got Aboriginals in it. It's set in Australia. That's perfect. Which I never would have thought of, because the Let's Dance song doesn't feel, yeah. to me, at all connected. Yeah, yeah. But when I looked at the video, wow! Yeah, like it's it the it opens in a bar that looks just like one of the bars that Chatwin described, and and it kind of goes on from there. And it doesn't it it doesn't match the book at all. In fact, I, I think you found out that it, it predates the book. Yeah, somewhat. that was kind of an interesting the um, the music video. I think was made in nineteen eighty three or nineteen eighty four. And Chatwin was writing the book at the time. He was traveling in Australia in 1983 and 1984 um, on these expeditions, writing his his book. Um, but when Bowie was shooting this, what was interesting, I read this great article in The Guardian about this music video, and they pointed out that it's the only overtly political statement that David Bowie ever made that there there was never times before or after which kind of surprises me but but this yeah, is according th- to the guardian like uh what's the song that he did for um for the 1984 soundtrack didn't he do a song that was like I'm scared of Americans. Well, Is yeah, but but there's nothing overtly. There's not like a political message that's being given. Like, yeah, it's I'm afraid of Americans. I, I guess there's. But what the. The song itself, in this case, isn't what was being political. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was the the music video, and it was, it was an overt um, commentary on the the relationship of aboriginals in australian society yeah. and the incorporation and integration that wasn't happening and and with like really distinct commentary on the stolen generation which was still pretty a recent yeah, outcome what, what was the stolen generation so, like i've heard that phrase but i don't know i don't know what it means when the aboriginal children i think it started around 1900 um it's like the very beginning of the 20th century, 
the Australian, the white Australians decided that what was best for black Aboriginal kids was to take them away from their Aboriginal families, move them into white homes and slowly breed their blackness out of them. And they ended up becoming basically house slaves to a lot of people. I mean, of course, there, there could have been exceptions of very loving families and adoptions, but not a lot of those exceptions were recorded. And so it was, I mean, sometimes they would be put in with families. Sometimes it was just um, orphanage situations. Did you ever watch The Rabbit Proof Fence, that film that was made? No, I haven't seen couple, that. Well, probably a long time ago now. Um, but this this procedure was in place as an official, like, official treatment of Aborigine um, communities up till the 1970s. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think that officially it ended in like 1968 or 1969, but it was still in practice in mm. a lot of communities into the 70s. And, and I think you can see that tension throughout the book. Um, yeah. And, 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 and definitely... This is the early 80s, so this is still yeah, fresh. Yeah. And, and you can see it in the, in the video for sure, too. Um, and yeah, and, and now you talk about it, like I can... And I'll definitely... I'll post the video in the show notes. Um, but yeah... It, now you talk about it, like I can definitely see that um, that tension there too. And I don't think I would have connected the the song to the book previously. No, Certainly, no, the, not at all. The visuals and the really clear commentary that are present in the video connect. But now there's kind of this great feeling when I think about the song lines as these traceable stories of a people mapped across a land. And then the idea of dancing that, let's dance, let's put on our red shoes and dance, like there's suddenly now this really great connection in that. Yeah, and I, I think that is a perfect spot to end it on. Um, so, uh, and, and we'll play the song as we're, as we're fading out here. Um, so what are, we, what are we reading next month? Wyndham Lewis Blast. Yeah, yeah, we're reading this incredible manifesto by Wyndham Lewis um, blast first England out of politeness. Oh, that's the whole title. I think that's the whole title. <laughs> this is this is gonna be really interesting because it's not something that either of us have ever wanted to read um, or knew about at all. So this is gonna be totally fresh to us, right? And I don't even know what genre it is. It's like a it's like a pamphlet. It was like a zine or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we'll we'll figure it out and we'll uh, we'll get back to you on that. And we'll be scrolling our notes about it on our Tumblr. Uh, yes, yep. So as we're reading, we're going to be posting on the Tumblr, um, which is bowiebookclub.tumblr.com. And we'll post this episode along with show notes on bowiebookclub.com. And uh, I'll get around to putting up a Facebook page. So go to, I guess, facebook.com slash bowiebookclub. Um, maybe that'll work. Let's go get that now. Yeah, I'll, I'll set that up tonight. <laughs> Anyway, uh, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you again in a month. Bye. (laughs) Christian, you're a white girl. (laughs) I was saying that I was not made for the desert. Oh, yeah. Because I burn really easy. Okay, um...
So, yeah, you're an alien like David Bowie. Oh, I read that David Bowie actually really hated to fly. And I read that David Bowie actually really hated to fly. And so anytime he was on tour, at least like in early in his career, he would have to take boats or trains to get places. So he's like the perfect nomad. Like he travels really slowly everywhere he goes. I've been learning so much about David Bowie as we've been doing this. Well, that's that's really cool. I, I really like the idea of him like taking a train. Like, like what would you say? Like he he was taking the Trans Siberian Railway. Yeah, because he wouldn't fly. He got a lot of reading done. I'm sure. I, I imagine so. 